0: This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible, and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. A few people have, uh, but those who have not, you'll leave today going, I should have known her name. She's someone whose name I should have known. Uh, She is an abolitionist who several months uh, after the start of the American Civil War found herself in Washington, D.C. And as she was gathered there in D.C., she happened to see earlier in the day a skirmish uh, between uh, portions of the northern and southern armies. Uh, And she sat down in her hotel that night and she penned uh, lyrics to something that you know very well, but you didn't know it was uh, how she pens the words to mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord, or as you know, uh, the battle hymn of the Republic. It'll actually carry two different names. Now what's interesting is she penned those lyrics, uh, but the song was already known, or at least the tune. Uh, The tune that you know uh, was popular by the 1850s. The tune is Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Uh, so you, you kind of, oh, are like, oh, no, that's the refrain, Pastor. I know, I know. The tune was already there in the 1850s, and she had heard the northern troops as they went in. She heard them coming down the road, and they were singing John Brown's Baby. John's Brown Baby was actually uh, an anthem that was being used as a cadence march for the soldiers in the north. So she heard them going into battle, and she thought, you know, what if we were to write something else? And she writes uh, this hymn in 19, 1861 in November there in D.C. It gets published uh, in Atlantic Monthly in February of 1862. is the first time it's actually published. And I want to read from you the fifth stanza. And you, you know, some of you are going to, like, you can't help but kind of break into it. It's one of those uh, kind of hymns. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. Now, I wanted to bring this hymn forward to you, thinking back 150 plus years, because it's got that word in there. (laughs) And here it is, with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. You don't use the word transfigures all that often. For many of you, you use the word transfigures one time. It is today, Transfiguration Sunday. And now I brought forward, you go, oh, I actually did sing it maybe one other time throughout the year when I sing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And and now I'm kind of getting where that is. So I wanted you just to sit on what this is to think about transfiguration. Now, it is a day where you can kind of do one of two things in the church. You can either go, wow, Transfiguration Sunday, this is awesome. And you kind of go towards, I like the church even more. Or you do this, transfiguration, I have no idea what that means, and you kind of float off into, into this world where you're going, pastor's doing the churchy thing, he seems happy, so I'm going to let him go. I mean, he's really excited about this big word, um, and afterwards, I'll just shake his hand and say, man, you smiled a lot today. I mean, and that's what you'll say. You'll be like, I don't know what to say about it, really, but I know he seemed happy about it. So we've got this transfiguration word. Now today in both Exodus 24 as well as Matthew 17, you have what are called theophanies. You're like, oh great, he's doing it. He's going even deeper into words. Theophanies are where God makes his presence known that you can tangibly see, taste, feel, touch. The reminder that God does not want to be away from you. Uh, The only reason God's away from you is because sin is in your life. God has made it his entire love and desire revealed to you in the scriptures. He wants to be back with you. That is what the revelation of scripture gives to us. So as we step in, uh, Exodus 24, we had the theophany, Jesus' presence there on Mount Sinai. Uh, Did you actually catch the the opening uh, to the text? Did anyone kind of get the beginning? Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Anyone get the opening words of that text? I know Tanya did because she read it. Did you catch what Moses does? Anyone recall? Because it was weird enough. Yeah, see, I was waiting. I was like, somebody had to have called it. The reading actually opens, and Moses threw blood on the people. You know, it's just one of those readings where you're like, clearly I didn't hear that right. I mean, you know, I mean, Tanya's wonderful. I mean, clearly, no, no scriptural reading would start with, you know, the leader of the people throwing blood on them. That's exactly how it starts, a reminder that God had covered them and marked them, that atonement, that purification required a blood sacrifice, and then they see God's presence in his glory. I mean, this is a real important piece that kind of gets us there. So we've got this, God's making his presence known in Exodus 24, a presence that reminds him he's covered the people. Uh, Today, we talk about being covered in baptismal righteousness. The craziness is, how many of you have like a baptismal stole on today? Anyone? Anyone got like a white robe wearing today, just to remind you of your baptism? See, now I only bring this up to remind you, boy, how quickly we can forget. So the experience of the Old Testament was they had the blood on them to remind them. Because guess what? As people, we have a very what type of memory? We have an exceedingly short memory. Uh, So as we step now into Matthew 17 you get Peter, James, and John witnessing the glory or another term in this season that we're ending, epiphany, meaning God reveals himself. He peels back a piece and you get to kind of see in it. How many of you have been to Walnut Pavilion, been just to some major concert? Just, it doesn't matter, Walnut Creek, anywhere. I mean, you could have been a Mandy Concert Hall. Just Okay, so you've been there, awesome. Did you enjoy it? Did any of you ever get the privilege of like, they're there and they just randomly pick a seat and it was yours? seat h2 you now have a backstage pass anyone ever have that i know you're like no that's never happened i haven't either but here's what i bring up imagine how it would change things if at the concert to hear a concert is one thing to be admitted back behind the stage to see all the inner workings is totally different so go to matthew 17 that's where we're going to start our journey uh, this morning And in Matthew 17, Peter, James, and John got backstage passes. I mean, they didn't just get invited to the concert. They're behind the stage, and they're watching it all. So here we are. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured. And see, some of you still have the hymn now writing, that transfigures you and me. So you still hear how, in, in her verse, of Remind, that it changes you, that it changes your shape. Your figure is transformed. Jesus' figure is transformed before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, that's kind of cool, isn't it, to think about that? Some of you are like, huh? They knew about light and all of its different ways and a prison could refract it and light and get, well, it's kind of cool. They talk about white light and these neat things and just this idea that white light, the most pure thing you could get. Setting there, changing everything for them and who Jesus was. He changes in front of them and what they see for the first time is the glory of God starting to be revealed. Remember, Jesus in his birth comes in what we sometimes call his humiliation. He went from being an omniscient God who could do anything and chose to take on human flesh, which is actually a shrouding of his full glory. Scripture tells us in other parts, if he did not, we would not be able to stand in his presence. Peter, James, and John could not have even listened to Jesus had he not come in human flesh. Or they would have had to listen to him, how? In a mountain, in a cloud, in a theophany, in Exodus 24 experience. But that's not what's happening in Matthew 17. They have the glory of God shrouded in a human body, but they get a glimpse. They get just a small peek to know what it is. Now, I want to take you back uh, to a few other places. We're going to go back further in the text, verse 3 and 4, and listen to what's happening. Now, behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. All right, so now it's getting to be kind of fun. So Jesus is there, Peter, James, and John, and two others appear. You got Moses and Elijah talking with him, and Peter said, to jesus lord it's good we're here if you wish i will make three tents one for you one for moses and one for elijah so why moses and why elijah now moses is the most powerful of the old testament uh, figures when it came to sharing the instruction of god you've got the great teacher the lawgiver, the one god worked through in sinai exodus 24 we've got this kind of appearance that god's glory is there and then you've got elijah Elijah, the great prophet who continued sharing this and even defeated all the prophets of Baal. So you got the great teacher and then kind of the practitioner, if you will. So you got, hey, I taught it and then here's the guy who carried it forward and they're both there. Then you got Jesus. This looks like a great triumvirate. Like you got uh, all the things that you need. Now, what's interesting is how the text continues in verse five and six. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. So remember, the voice speaks, and some of you are like, oh, it's baptism day. Yeah, it's kind of an echo of Jesus' baptism. It also is an echo of Exodus 24, and that cloud that comes out as you get God speaking, a theophany. But as it speaks, something else happens. And what you notice is the disciples do what? They, They fall down. Now these are people who had been there with Jesus, they've been gathered with him, they've known all the things he's said and done, but now when this voice comes, something's different. See, the glory of God is not just like a hug and a handshake. We make God too personal at times. And what I mean by making him too personal is you forget he is the God of heaven and earth. He is God Almighty, the maker of all things seen and unseen. That's a majestic image. Uh, don't get me wrong, Jesus walks on the earth and they see him. But when you start to see the glory of God, it changes you. And Peter, James, and John just start to hear that, and they drop in fear. They're cowering because what's happening is unlike anything they have experienced. And then it happens. Verse 7 and 8. But Jesus came and touched them. You may just read past that text. You may have heard it, but I don't know if you've ever noticed in Transfiguration, Jesus just doesn't come and talk to them. He's not just a voice. Jesus understands there's something about being human that we like, touch. One of, I think, the greatest privileges of actually being a pastor is sometimes gathering with people in illness. It's an honor to be there on behalf of families and loved ones and to be by someone's side. And do you know one of the greatest things I've discovered people like when you're in the hospital with them? Just to hold their hand. And sometimes to not even talk. You will be amazed how strong an 80-year-old woman's hand grip is when you give your hand to just hold it. Not to talk, not to, not to parrot lots of things, but just to sit there. Because touch means something, and Jesus knew that. And as Jesus comes, but Jesus came and touched them. And then it gets even better. Saying, rise and have no fear. We talk often about... Uh, You know, don't have fear, don't be afraid, all these things, but to have the God who made you, the omniscient God to come and not only touch you, because touch tells you you have value. Because if you touch someone, that means you're okay to be around them. Uh, In the Middle Ages, one of the unique things uh, about Christian communities was, do you know what they did to people who had the plague? (laughs) They actually cared for them. (laughs) Uh, They touched them, they loved them, they drew them together. Some historians and sociologists have actually suggested one of the reasons the church grows is other people notice hey, people who are Christians aren't dying as heavily as we are. There might be something to this whole piece that they care and love for each other. Well, Jesus touches them and says, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, so first we've been touched, we've been told to have no fear, God speaks into them, and then everyone else is gone. Moses isn't there, Elijah isn't there. Now, on first take, this is a scary thing, because you're going, but we had Moses, man. We had the guy guy that knew the manual, right? I mean, this guy, he had gotten the Ten Commandments. We had him. And Elijah, like, he knew how to answer and do the things, so we were good. But now all we have is Jesus. And I would imagine in a split second, they then remembered the voice that said, this is my son. See, this is the one. You don't need Moses. You don't need Elijah. They were only pointing to Christ. Everything else falls by the wayside. Think about physical touch in other ways. How many of you swim? There are stories in my family. One family member who got the great swim treatment, you know, the, you know, the one that you're not supposed to do. They got that one. You know, the kid on the pool. Push in, pool swim. They got that treatment. I did not get that treatment. Uh, I was actually a kid who could not swim for a very, very long time. I refused to swim. Uh, I was actually around 11 or 12 uh, by the time I actually swam. Uh, and, and I actually required a whole lot of private lessons. I was scared to death of swimming. Uh, and I remember a young lady in church. It was actually in her private pool that she helped me. And do you know what got me from there to swim? <laughs> She could not let me go. <laughs> like that was the rule. If I was going to swim, you were going to hold me the whole time, which I realized some of you were like that's not swimming, pastor. Hey, that was my argument with her, okay? So we had this argument. But I'm sure with the importance I needed to know she was there. And if she was not going to touch me, where was her hand? Anybody know this? Yeah, somewhere about a 16th of an inch away from me, so I needed to have like like just like hairs on your body could still recognize her presence. Like, I needed to know that she was still there. Because there's something about knowing that you're supported, that you are actually taken care of. Jesus touches them. The image of transfiguration is one of profound change. Listen again to the text. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. Now remember, Howell writes this uh, in 1861 in the United States of America. And she's writing about Jesus reminding herself and all her hearers, Jesus is born across the sea. Indeed, he was. She writes with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while Christ is marching on. Now, 150 years has passed since she actually writes that. A little over. We're pushing 160 years since she actually wrote the text. But what's interesting is the one change that has happened is this move. The move is this. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. The lyric was fitting in 1861. Uh, It was a reminder the northern troops would sing it going into battle, that they would die to to set men free. Uh, But many times you may know the hymn not as that, as he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. Some have changed that language to realize that the hymn has transcended just that one image to realize uh, you and I will likely not march into a battle today, uh, but we may live in Christ today in a way that will help others to see this glory that moves forward. We live in a world that has this different piece, but great adversity, think of this in life, great adversity often leads to triumph. Some of the greatest things that you've experienced in your life started out not being all that grand. Uh, but as you got into it, you saw what God was up to and what he was actually doing. 2 Peter uh, brings this back to us. This is Peter following what he experienced there in Matthew 17. He writes these words to remind us about what it is to have a first-hand account For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Man, that's Matthew 17 right there. We saw it. I was there at transfiguration. That's what Peter's getting to you here. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He experienced it. Peter wanted to make sure that you didn't confuse Jesus with anyone else. He's not some teacher. He's not even Moses, and he's not Elijah. He's the one who's left, and he's the God that touches people. And he still touches people today. This is the joy of a God who comes in the font inviting, at the table feeding, in the Scripture speaking. People wonder, where is God? Read the Scriptures and realize God is often right there. You just have to have your eyes scab fall off your eyes and what's in your ears be unplugged to recognize what God is doing. Did you know the gospel of God doesn't actually need embellishment? That's the most amazing thing about the scriptures. Sometimes we want to put so much around it and decorate it and do other things. The glory that transfigures you and me. God's glory does that. <laughs> not some cleverly devised scheme. That's what Peter wrote. We did not follow cleverly devised myths. He goes, I'm just telling you what I witnessed firsthand. We're changed by the life of Jesus, and God's work didn't end on Mount Sinai. Exodus 24, where we started. It doesn't end with Jesus' birth. It didn't end after his ascension. And the power of God continues today, moving in each of us. So as you have chance this morning, we're about to sing another hymn. We're going to sing the hymn, "'Tis good Lord to be here." Because I want to take you from the glory that transfigures you and me to remember what it would have been like to have been on that mountaintop. But as you hear the hymn, I want this word, and you'll sing it in a few moments, I want this one to take you home. Because in the hymn, it reminds us of this amazing thing. It tells us that we want to stay on the mountaintop, but God follows you down into the plain. Peter, James, and John wanted to stay up there, but there came a point where they had to leave the mountaintop and go live their lives. But don't miss for a minute. God doesn't leave you alone. He follows you into the plane. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person on behalf of everyone at Jordan. We hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the Peak of Good Living, Apex, North Carolina.